Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. So I have a math problem for you this morning. How many of you love math? A few of you. Okay, you can help us out with the rest of us. Um, Here's the question. How many times have you sinned? Hmm. So let's say, let's see if we can figure this out. Let's say you're 50 years old, and uh, let's don't count the first 10 years of your life because you didn't have a clue what you were doing, okay? We'll, we'll be generous and give you that. So let's say 40 years, 40 years. How many, uh, what is that? That's going to be about 14,000 days, something like that. And how many times a day do you think you sin on average? At least once? At least once? You might have a good day once in a while, you know? So now we're talking 14,000 sins. What if you're talking uh, maybe more like three times a day? You know, where you think evil thoughts or you, whatever. That, now we're up over 40,000. Some of you are young, you haven't arrived there. You can do better than the rest of us, okay? Um, that's a lot of sins, isn't it? Why don't you think about this? That, you know, I'm, I'm thinking my life, it's probably, it's, it's more like, you know, not 40,000, it's probably, you know, upwards closer to 100,000 probably in my life so far. And Jesus died paying the penalty for every one of those. That's huge, isn't it? So if, if nothing else ever happened to me, so I become a Christian and all that happened to me was that I got my sins forgiven and now I'm not going to hell, I'm going to heaven because of what Jesus did. If I never got any other blessing from God, have I got everything I need? More, right? I've got also everything else is blessing. And yeah, there's hardship in trying to live the Christian life, but the, the reality is that God did more. And that's what this sermon series has been about when we're in 1 Corinthians, the fact that God, when he forgave us, he did more than just take away the penalty. He also, we, we were born again and he made us new inside. We became new creations inside. His spirit moved into our spirit and in our spirit we became holy people. Now, not outward in our lives, not in our thinking and all our actions. That's the work that's in progress. But deep down inside, he changed us forever. And that's why right in the first chapter, the Apostle Paul says that as believers, God calls us saints, holy ones, holy people. So God, deep down inside, has already changed us. That gives you hope, doesn't it? You no longer have to say, oh, I'm just, that's just the way I am. That's just, I'm a sinner. Remember that we said that's what the world wants you to believe? The world wants you to see your identity as sinner or maybe some particular kind of sinner. No, no, if you've come to Jesus Christ, you are now a saint. You are holy inside. And so what we say is that you're no longer a sinner trying to become holy or become a saint. You're already a saint who's learning how not to sin, 
learning how to live the way God wants you to live. And by the way, sometimes that's hard because of our lives and where we're at and what's going on in them. It can be overwhelming to us, but know that God is faithful. He's going to continue working in us. Um, so that's such good news. And so in this, we, we, we found that we, we kind of took a little bit of break, remember, the last few weeks, and we, we focused in on, so what is this sin thing? What is sin? How, how do we end up in it? Because he's forgiven every sin, thousands upon thousands upon thousands. He's moved inside and changed us and made us brand new inside with the potential to do what's right. And yet, the author of Hebrews talks about sin and describes it as the sin which so easily besets us. Because understand that sin, you know, that we were born with and that we lived in, even if we were little when we came to Christ, it has had a huge negative impact on us. It's affected how we think. It's affected what we love and our emotions. It's affected our habits and we're driven by fears and all this kind of stuff that, that God is working on in our lives and helping us to grow in. But the idea is, is, is sin still comes easy. Still comes easy. I was thinking about this the other day uh, with respect, uh, an analogy of eating. Okay, because that's I mean obviously that's been a big focus of my life for the past year and a half, going on two years, and trying to to learn to eat different, to change. Okay, and so I've changed enough to where what I like to eat has changed. It's changed. I, so, and basically I have choices. I can eat anything I want, but I make different choices than I used to make. And I don't want to go back to other choices because I don't like that. It's not good for me. All that kind of stuff, all right? That's happening. And so what I'm thinking, so it, was, it seems relatively easy now, but I was realizing, you know what? I could be one donut away from a disaster. You know what I'm saying? I mean, not that I can't eat. I could have a donut. That's not the end of the world. I can do that. But what I'm trying to say is, I don't, I was feeling like I'm really a long ways from where I used to be and how I got in trouble physically. And I realized I'm probably not very far away from that still. And I want you to see that in our lives, with sin, same way, God has changed us deep inside and he's changed our want to and we want to do what God wants us to do and live that way. But in reality, none of us are very far away from falling back into sin and living in ways that come natural to us and make sense to us but are contrary to what God says. And so we need him to work in our lives, right? I can't just say, don't sin, okay, all set, go. Doesn't work that way. We desperately need him to work in our lives. And this is why you have to, to draw close to the Lord. You have to work on it on purpose. You have to be in the word and, and let it go in. And, and, you know, what you don't understand, don't worry about it. Worry about what you do understand. Worry isn't the right word. Okay? Focus on what you do understand and, and get together with God's people. And I'm, I don't want to, it's a different sermon. But you got to work on it. And the point is that sin is nearby. Uh, just as we go back to the book of Genesis. God talking to Cain says, hey, you better look out. Sin is there. It's crouching, wanting to take you. And that's always true for us. And if he had not come inside and done what he'd done, we would be hopeless. But he's changed us forever. 
Good news. We could have a party about that, couldn't we? We should have a party. That sounds like a good idea. Not right now, okay? We should have a party. We're saved and all that. That'd be cool. Anyway, um, I've been on vacation all week, guys. My mind is not disciplined at the moment. It's just going here, there, and everywhere. But so we talked about sin. We focused in on why is it still a problem? How do we get there? How do we avoid it? How do we grow? What do we need to understand? And, and uh, last week, we started a, a sermon uh, talking about a love that's great enough to say no and where we, we say no to sin, but more specifically, no to sin in each other. We should be saying it of ourselves first, but then there are times and places when we must say it for each other, all right? Uh, and so let's just think, Matthew 18, we looked at. This is, the Bible. this is the second part of one sermon, okay? Last week was the first part. If you didn't, weren't here for that or you didn't watch, I encourage you to try to get back and watch it because it really lays the foundation for some of the things we're talking about today. So in Matthew 18, we see that Jesus says, hey, if someone sins against you, and it could be even sins against you as a people, as the body of Christ and the church, and they are, they're sinning in, in serious ways, which I'll talk about in a minute. Um, he says, here's the process. You go and you, you, you talk to them individually, one-on-one, -on -one, and you try to help them to see that where they're at is not where they need to be, that it's not good for them, you know, and it's not good for other people, and you really encourage them and you, you love them and try to get them to come back to the Lord and turn away from that sin, and, you know, and then we can help you with that. Help. Anyway, you try to do that. If they aren't having it, then you go with one or two other people with you. And then you begin to engage that. And you may meet multiple times with talk, but you keep trying to get them to draw back. And, and then if they refuse that, it says then you, you let the church family know. And like I said, when we've done that, it's what we call a special church family member, uh, uh, a church members meeting, family meeting. And then we let the church know what's going on. And then the whole church reaches out. You know, people who know them reach out and try to help them. And then it says that if they refuse to turn back to the Lord, that at that point you put them out of the church and you treat them as though they are unsaved because they are acting as though they are unsaved. They're living as though they are unsaved. And so you put them out. We don't know if they're saved or not, but the Lord says if someone's going to say, no, I don't care, I'm going to live this way, then we're to put them out. And he says that we have the authority to do that. Now, there were four things that we want to remember and understand about this. First of all, we're only talking about serious sin. We're not talking about personal slights or things I don't like, right? We're talking about serious, significant sins. And, and uh, we'll be looking at a passage that talks about that today, okay? And, and talking about significant sin, that is, they're unrepentant in. You could be here today. You could be watching today and have serious, serious sin in your life that you are struggling with. And you say, I shouldn't be here. And you know you shouldn't, but you are. And, and then you try to do better, and then you fall back. And then you know, I'm going to, all that kind of stuff. That's not what we're talking about. Because guess what? If we have to put people out of the church because they struggle with sin, two questions. Who would I be preaching to today? Nobody. And who would be preaching? Nobody, right? So we're not talking about that. We're talking about, it's this, I don't care, I'm going to do what I want to do. You know? Whatever. 
So that has to be dealt with, serious sin. Secondly, as privately as possible. This is not a pro proclaim it to everybody thing. We start this you know, individually and privately and do our best to keep it that way. It only expands as when there's no other recourse, as the Lord has told us. And then remember the goal is restoration. The goal is not to hurt, to uh, you know, shame or anything like that. That isn't the goal. The goal is to, to bring people back into a right relationship with the Lord and how they're living. And then there's always everything in the Christian life It's motivated by love. It's because we love you. That we are, it's in this love that God has given us is great enough to say no to you. Remember, one of the, if you've had children, you've been a child, or one of the most loving things a parent can say to their child is what? No. Right? That's, that's true. And so we're going to love each other enough to say no to each other. Uh, then we said this, you know, that one of the many privileges of membership, of church membership, is being loved enough to be confronted. You know, you may not think of it that way, but the idea is when you join the church, you are saying, yes, I want you to confront me if I walk away from the Lord. I want you to come after me. Please do that. Now, if you're ever in that position, you'd probably be saying, don't do it. But it's a privilege to have people love you enough to come after you. How terrible would it be to be out there and know, doesn't matter what I do, nobody's coming? Man, that, that's heavy. Nobody's coming? No, as believers in the church, we are coming for you. You know how I think it's the Marines say, we, no man left behind, okay? And that's the way... We as the church are going to be to the best of our ability. All right, and then we ended up with this, some thoughts to take with you. First is love others enough to choose not to sin because it's unloving to sin. And then love others enough to confront them about their sin. Now, so we ended last week with this question. Does the Bible give any examples of this kind of thing? And it does. So let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter... Five. And we really encourage you to follow along in a Bible. If you don't have a Bible of your own there, uh, there should be one under a chair nearby you. Pick that up and we're going to be on uh, page 1313 is where we're starting. Chapter 5, 1 Corinthians. Let's begin reading. And then we'll go back and talk through it. Paul says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. Now see, okay, what? So what's going on here is that uh, this would have not been this, this man's mother, okay? It would have been his father. His father has remarried. His father is married to someone who is not a blood relative of this younger man. And so we don't know the details, but somehow or other he ends up in a relationship with his father's wife, okay? Which is wrong on a number of levels, okay? And, and when he says it's, it's not even named among the Gentiles, he means the unsaved people even think this is not right, okay? This is serious. Remember what, what did Jesus say? Serious sin, serious sin. He says, and you are puffed up. 
And have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. Puffed up, you are prideful. You ought to be mourning. You ought to be brokenhearted. Instead, you're prideful. How are they prideful, do you think? We are so loving. And we are so accepting. You know, there, there's lots of religion out there in our country today, and I'm sure around the world as well, but I see it obviously much clearer in our country. There's plenty of religion that calls itself Christian that all it really does is prides itself on how open they are and how loving they are and how accepting they are. Well, let me say this to you right away. You are not loving if you are not saying no. There's a time and place to say no. So this, this is what they were doing, right? We're puffed. We're, whoa, we're so proud. Look, we even accept this. We accept that, you know. And by the way, if you lived in Corinth, there was a lot to accept. <laughs> Sounds like the United States of America to me today. That situation. Do you know how? And we're going to see it again in chapter 6. Sexual immorality keeps coming up in Paul's discussion with the Corinthians. Why? Because that was a problem in Corinth. Well, guess what in our culture? It's a huge problem, isn't it? So it comes up for us too. All right. But so he says they ought to have been saying no instead of being proud. And Verse 3, for I indeed, this is Paul talking, for I indeed as absent in body but present in spirit have already judged as though I were present. I've already judged him who has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Say, what? What are you talking about? Well, leaven is, uh, we would use the word yeast, most likely, okay? Yeast, and how many of you have ever made bread? Okay, and so you had to put some yeast in there, didn't you? The loaf starts off small, you put the yeast in there, and it, you keep it warm and moist, and what? That yeast multiplies and grows and spreads, and that bread gets bigger and bigger and bigger, doesn't it? In fact, let me just tell you, uh, some of you might remember, because I probably have told the story before. We were growing up, we had two dogs, they were Basinjis, and Basinjis is African for out of control. Um, it's the way it seems. Anyway, uh, had a, the younger one, and my mom made bread. And she had the in bread things on top of the counter with, you know, like a towel over it, letting it rise. And the younger male dog somehow managed to get on the counter and pull one off and ate a whole loaf of unrisen bread with yeast in it. Now you talk about a nice, warm, moist environment inside. And this little dog, who's about the size of a smaller beagle, just went, got bigger and bigger and bigger, you know, couldn't, you know, and it, would, it was trying to walk, and, and it, it, it would kind of sit down and then just lean against the wall, <laughs> with one leg up. And, and every now and then it would burp. <laughs> smell like you've been drinking beer, you know? And uh, 
The dog barely survived that. It did survive it, but barely. But how much yeast did the dog eat? Not very much. But what's it do? Grows and spreads and grows and spreads and grows and spreads. And so this is what Paul is talking about here. But the idea is that in the Bible, when we see the word leaven used or yeast, it's, it's, it's very often, more often than not, symbolic of sin. Sin. So if you let a little sin in your life and you let it stay there, guess what? It's going to grow. It does not work for you to say, well, yeah, I got a little sin, I know, but it's not a big deal. No, it's always, it will always grow. Okay? So this is what he's saying. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens a whole lump? Don't you know that a little sin increases and will affect everybody, affect the whole church? Therefore, purge out the old leaven, the old sinful ways, that you may be a new lump. Now, I mean, this just sounds funny, right? My, I want to tell you, I want you guys to be a new lump. Well, we are a new people, aren't we? We are new creations. And she said, we need to live like that, a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. Now, that goes back to what I was talking about in the beginning, wasn't it? The moment that we received Christ, everything changed deep down inside. God moved in. He's holy. He made us holy. Deep down in our spirits, which is the core of our identity, who we are, we are unleavened. You know what I mean? There is no sin there. Oh, that's so hopeful. I, I keep saying it, but that gives you so much hope. All right. So therefore, yeah, for our Passover, was, for indeed Christ, our Passover was sacrificed for us. And so he's going back and showing that Christ, the symbols of the Old Testament, how about what Christ has done for us. And when the Passover came, they ate unleavened bread. And they ate unleavened bread when they left uh, Egypt because the idea is they didn't have time to rise the bread, raise the bread with that. They had to just take it unleavened and go. But it became more of a picture than that. It meant God removing the leaven and the sin from our lives. Verse 9, therefore let us keep the feast, the feast of the Passover. And again, he's talking symbolically here. Not with old leaven nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness. And we could make a big list here. He says, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. That that's what should mark our lives as Christians. We are sincerely seeking to live out the Christian life. Now let me tell you what he did not say. He did not say with sinless perfection. Aren't you glad? Now, it's always a two-edged sword for me when I talk about that because I am so glad that God doesn't say you have to be perfect. Somehow in your own strength, your own way, you got to be perfect because guess what? We ain't. Never will be. And so, I, but that should never excuse us. Oh well, hey, it's just the way we are. No, it should never excuse. We should not let ourselves off the hook because of that. Instead, we ought to be sincerely trying to live this truth out in sincerity and in truth. So I am sincerely trying to live out the truth of what Jesus did in me. And you should be sincerely trying to live out the truth of what Jesus has done in you. And that means we keep dealing with the sin as it comes up. And in this case, as it wasn't being dealt with by someone, the church family needing to deal with it. 
All right. So we see here, we're talking about serious sin. My guess is that it had already been dealt with privately. The goal here was to restore, and when there was no restoration available, the, Paul says that this person needs to be put out. And it, that's motivated by love, believe it or not. Okay, so let's talk about this. I want to work back through these verses. First is this, that serious, unrepentant sin in a church member's life must be addressed. It must be. Key word there, I think, is unrepentant. Right? This is not someone who's struggling with sin. You know, if you struggle with alcohol or drugs, and, you know, you're struggling with that now, you were struggling with it a year ago, and you struggle with it five years from now. Now, yeah, the good chance you aren't really doing all that you ought to do, but the reality is, is when you show up again, we're going to love you and help you. And, you know, you may have to, there may be some things you have to do to get that help, but the idea is, we're talking about, we're talking about the person who says, I don't care. Unrepentant, it's a hard heart. You remember we talked about the deceitfulness of sins that hardens us? Man, that's why you got to keep fighting sin. You got to keep fighting it. Anyway, so this is an unrepentant sin situation, and we know so much that they're proud of themselves because it's there. It has to be addressed. Uh, if we don't address it, we are being unloving. Uh, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says this. It says, and if one member suffers, talking about the body of Christ, and if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. He says, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. So, that means that if me, as a member of this body of Christ, if I am hurting, do you hurt with me? If I have reason to rejoice, are you going to rejoice with me? So if I am in unrepentant sin, does that hurt just me? No, it hurts you too. See, we're connected. We have to deal with this. It isn't, we say, well, it's not me. I you know, can't do that. It's us. It's us together. And how we live affects each other. So if, if one of us is living in unrepented, serious sin, we have to address it because we love each other. Okay? And it's for their good and for our good. It's uh, so a side note here. A little bit of a side note. Look here in verse 3. Paul says, For I indeed is absent in body, but present in spirit. And he says in the parenthesis, As though I were present. Verse 4, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together along with my spirit, even though I'm not present. All right. There is an individual, uh, excuse me, there is an invisible but very real spiritual connection between believers. There is. Now we, I said invisible on purpose because we can't see the spiritual connection, can we? Anybody besides me ever found yourself in a group of people that you didn't know and you aren't there very long at all and then you just, you keep noticing this person and you just sense of, I don't know why, I feel like that person's a Christian. Anybody ever experienced that? I have. It's amazing. And not always right. 
but often right. And what is it? There is a spiritual connection. Uh, Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 12. He talks about how the Holy Spirit has taken us and put us all into one body and made us all drink of the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit who lives within us. We are connected to each other. And I would say this, that our sensitivity to this is determined by our investment. In other words, if you are not, let me, let me go on the other side. If you are investing in your relationship with your church family, you are investing by, you get together with other Christians, other believers. And maybe they aren't always from our church, but you're getting together with other Christians and you're, you, you're fellowshipping. There was the basis of your relationship includes your relationship with Christ. That's part of the dynamic of what's going on. And, and you're encouraging one another. And, and you know when you're coming here, you aren't just showing up for an event. Right? Sunday morning worship, event. Go to the event, leave the event. Stay home and watch the event. Turn the TV off. We're not talking about that. We're talking about you investing. You're, you're the person who's getting here 15, 20 minutes early so you can talk to people. And, and I know, when I say that 15, 20 minutes early, some of you are thinking, are you nuts? We can't ever even make it here on time. Okay, I get it. Then if you can't get here on time, then you hang around afterwards, right? I mean, the idea is you are connecting with people here. And, and this won't be sufficient, but man, it ought to be about us getting together and encouraging one another just by knowing each other. I, I don't know if you guys experience this or not, but I, if, when I see you guys, I am encouraged. And it's not just because I'm the pastor, but I do have a lot of investment with you in my relationships with you. And when I see you, it matters. It matters a lot. I was out here in the parking lot with Tim today and, and Amanda Hawk pulled in and I wanted to kind of jump in front of her and go, hi. And she's like, Bleh. but there's a connection. But the idea is the more you invest in those relationships, the more you will experience that there's a spiritual connection here. There's a oneness here. And so I really want to encourage you to invest in that. So that's a side note. Let's get back, okay, to where we were here. All right, so serious unrepentant sin in a church member's life must be addressed. Second thing, sometimes the most loving thing to do is to put someone out of the church. Huh? Our world wouldn't say that, would they? You know, one of the top values in our world is that we tolerate anything and everything. In fact, they don't even tolerate it, they just accept it, okay? And the only thing that they don't accept is people who love enough to say no. Christians, right? Um, but anyway, it is the most loving thing to do. Now, let's look at this, because I, I want to deal with this. He says that you need to put the person out. We, are, we looked at it last week. Again, I encourage you to go watch or listen to that sermon. Verse 5, deliver such a one to Satan. <laughs> for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. What's going on here? Um, when he says, turn this person over to Satan, I want you to understand something here today. That being a part of the body of Christ 
and particularly like a local body of Christ like us where we gather together and we are accountable to one another. Do you know that there is protection there? There is spiritual protection when you are part of the church. It's there. Spiritual protection. And, and we kind of see this with Job, don't we? That God was protecting Job. Anyway, he says here that we, when we put someone out of the church, who, what do we expose them to? Satan's influence. Which means if you are an active, fellowshipping member of the body of Christ, that there are almost assuredly things that you are not facing because God is protecting you. That's another reason to kind of... Right? He's protecting us. And so there's protection in the church. And what he's saying, put this person outside of the uh, church, away from that protection. And what we're going to let them do is experience the full consequences of sowing and reaping. If they're going to choose to live in unrepentant sin away from God, which is, remember, God's ways are the best ways. Sin is always damaging. They want to do that, and they're choosing to do that. Put them out there. Let them do it. They will experience those consequences. And they may deny they're experiencing them, but they will absolutely experience them, and it will increase over time. Okay? And he says, do this. So he says, that's what their spirit will be saved in the day of, of Jesus. Now, I got to tell you, Evan, I was hoping you showed up earlier today because I was going to ask you what that verse means. <laughs> it's, it's a little tricky. It's a difficult verse to understand exactly what it means. But I would say this. What he's telling us is that this process is redemptive. This process is to, will help to put this guy in a position of being restored. All right? And so it's loving to say no. It's loving for a church to say no because it's going to work in their lives. Um, think about the prodigal son. The father let him do what? Let him go. And what ended up happening? He began to reap what he had sown. And it brought him back to the father. And so this is God's intent with this. It doesn't mean everybody's going to come back. Uh, but it, that is the intent of this. And then the next point, that we need to see how dangerous sin is to the well-being of the church and its members. This is why Paul says it can't stay because he says it's going to affect. Here's the deal. If we become a church that accepts anything and everything, no matter what God says, guess what? It won't be very long. We will not be a church that's following the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll be a church that's doing our own thing. Setting our own standards. We won't be surrendering to the Lord. We won't be growing to be like him. And what message will we have to share with others? It really, really matters. It is damaging to not only to the person, but to the church. All right. So let's, let's come back into the passage here. And let's read some more verses. Let's start in verse number nine. He says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Keep company, fellowship with. And we'll see a little more. He's a little clearer in a minute. He says, yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous, which other places he said, that's idolatry, or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother or a sister. 
who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, and the list could go on and on. He says, not even to eat with such a person. So there's what he's talking about. If somebody has to be put out of the church, remember our goal is restoration, and if somebody's put out of the church, is that the end of the story? Do you think that's the end of the story? No, God's gonna be working much in the person's life and our desire is to still reach out to them and to still at some point see them turn back to the Lord and welcome them back in. Um, how many of you here today, I'm not asking anybody to raise their hands, either have been in a situation where you're so glad that the church eventually welcomed you back or you say, man, if the church knew where I had been, but they've welcomed me anyway, right? I mean, that's a big deal. So that's the idea. That's the goal, to draw this person back. And so he's talking here, and he says, don't keep company. That's real. I'm sorry. There's this, that's vacation mind still at work. Um, he says, don't even eat with them. The idea is this, that if someone gets put out of the church, you do not maintain a relationship with them as if everything is normal. You don't. You don't maintain a relationship like everything's okay. This is not what we hear and see in some religions that are shunning. This is not you are walking somewhere and the, other, the person that's put out of the church is walking this way that you go, oh, and turn your head and walk away. No, 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 you would engage them. How are you doing? we love you, you know, we'd sure love to have you, you know, come back. Um, and so the, the, it, it isn't, so the point is, this whole thing is not about becoming judgmental. And this is what Paul says here, right? Hey, if you're going to not hang out with immoral people, you better stay home. And that may still be a problem there. Right. He said, this is not about becoming judgmental. It's about holding ourselves to God's standards. In other words, when we're thinking like this, this is not about taking a political stance. We're against this out here, and we want the government to do this or that. Or we need a law, or I'm against that. That's not what this is about at all. Yeah, that stuff is sinful. That's good. And if you're a citizen, you have a right to speak. But that's not what we're about. We're not about trying to judge other people. We're about, this whole process is about trying to hold ourselves to God's high standard. If I'm going to name the name of Christ, I need to take that seriously. And I need to sincerely and in truth hold myself to a high standard. You need to do the same with you, and then we need to do it for each other. We are Christians. Are we living like Christians? And living like Christians isn't just about not doing the big bad things. There's a whole lot more to it than that. But are we doing that, helping each other, understanding it? So it is not about uh, any of those things. It's about holding ourselves to a high standard. Yeah. All right. Let's just move on to this. So there are three musts, then, that I come to from this. Three musts. First one of those is that to those outside the church, we must be more like Jesus. We must be more like Jesus to, to all that list of people Paul was talking about. We must be more like Jesus. And do you remember what they accused Jesus of being? A friend of sinners. 
Could you be described that way? As a friend of sinners? We're not talking about approving of, of someone's sin and what's going on in their life. We're talking about that that person matters to you. You care about that person and they know it because of how you interact with it. To those outside the church, we must be more like Jesus. We don't want to develop a judgmental attitude. It's, 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 our human nature tends to say, if we say sin is wrong, then we start to get all hard. No, no. Sin is wrong. And our hearts are tender toward people. It has to be that way. Okay. The second must is this, that inside the church, we must lovingly hold each other accountable to God's high standards. And this isn't, again, going around being judgmental about each other. You know, you can't do this without relationship. You have to enter into relationships with other people in the church, with God's people. Enter into significant relationships because it is there that you will be able to say no to each other lovingly. To say, hey, I'm concerned about this in your life. I mean, maybe, I don't know about you, I, I've experienced it. You, some of you probably have someone who said, yes, our job, we need to hold each other accountable. And they have zero relationship with you and they don't care about you, but they come straighten you out. How well does that work? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people who we know and love and engage with and we know them and they know us. That doesn't happen by just showing up for an event and leaving the event or watching the event and turning it off. You have to engage more than that on purpose. Uh, the Apostle Paul, no, excuse me, the author of Hebrews, which we aren't sure who that was, said this, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Remember, we gotta have relationships as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching, the day of the Lord when he's going to return for us, or maybe the day when our lives end and he returns for us that way. But let us consider one another. This is an active looking and caring, an active connection, considering, because I want to help you. You want to help me. I want to stir up love in our relationship. I want to stir us up to good works, both of us together. And it doesn't happen when you don't connect with the church. And then the third must. As members of the church, we must pursue increasing integrity in our walk with the Lord. In other words, if nothing else, all this stuff we've talked about sin and how we've talked about what it means in the church and how we're supposed to deal with the church, it's easy to focus on all that, but what I want you to do is I want you to back that back out, go back to the beginning here, and make sure that you're never that man who is in need of being put out of the church. And the way you do that is you live with increasing integrity. You deal with your sin. If you need help with your sin, you get help. But you become more and more a person who's, who's not only his outward actions, but your inward mindset and all that matches the word more and more and more, remembering that you're never real far away from sin. So you've got to depend on God. But becoming that kind of a person, uh, Peter wrote these words. He says that we ought not to be conforming ourselves to the former lusts. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Let the way God is and what his word says change how you live. Change how you look at life. 
So those three must. To the outside of the church, be more like Jesus. We need to lovingly hold each other accountable. And then we got to take seriously pursuing this integrity, as, as Paul said here today, in sincerity and in truth. And there's coming a day. He's forgiven every sin, the penalty. He set us free from the power of sin, and we're learning what that means. But there is coming a day when we will be free from the presence of sin. Sin will not be close at hand anymore, ever again. Everett Larson is experiencing that right now. Freedom. There's no sin there. Jeanette Bowen, freedom. Marsha Cummings is going there and she's excited about it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. That you have dealt with our sin. Help us to deal with it here now as long as we live in this sin-cursed world. Help us to understand. Help us to grow. Help us to seek to live the way you want us to in sincerity and truth. Help us to keep learning to say no to sin, learning to confess sin and, and make changes. Help us, Lord, to connect with other people who can help us with this and we can help with it. And pray, Lord, we, none of us, none of us gets deceived, Father, by this idea from the world that, well, that's just the way you are. You might as well make it your identity. Oh, no, God, I pray that as your people, we would say, yeah, this is a problem for me. But by God's grace, I'm going to make progress. We want to honor and glorify you in this, Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Go live it, right? Go live it. <laughs>